Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, NordVPN, of course. You see, it's Nord, Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's, I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. A wassail, a wassail, a wassail. But has that happened yet? I haven't had the wassail. But when child one calls, he that's how he starts. Any call in December begins with a wassail. Oh, really? so, that, so that's why I feel as though it's important, as we are the origin of this fine tradition. Uh, well, obviously it goes back to the 12th century, but we understand, by the way, that, I mean, I've, Wassail is I heard it as well. Fine. Yeah. I know, but the audience didn't, so I was just yeah, going to yeah. explain it for the audience because they didn't... They didn't hear the voice in our head. Wouldn't it be easier yes. if Simon Paul, the redactor-in-chief... Was just in the studio and just interrupted whenever well, he felt like but it. But I was thinking if he could speak straight into everyone's headphones as they're listening to this. Or into everyone's head. Yeah. Anyway, so there is a new uh, Wassailing song for next week. Obviously, uh, we don't want to peak too soon. Is it good? It's good. He said... <laughs> Got a bit darker. Minor key. Okay. Wow. All right. So we'll have a proper wassail next week. But it, but, but for the meantime, we just greet each other with a wassail. wassail. A hearty wassail and a spiced cider to you. Spiced cider. In That's an not a good idea, is it? No, well, not not at this time of the morning, it's not. <laughs> not at any time so of the morning. It all depends whether you're talking about like a 3.5% cider, in which case that's okay. Or if it's a 7% or even a 9%, then you're in serious trouble. We were driving back from somewhere last week and we had on the podcast. And well, this podcast? Yeah, yes, we were listening to um, this podcast, you know, because why not? Well, you know what, you've been on it, I suppose. Well, I know, but I just wanted to see what it said. You know, every now and then I like to do a, quali- like? I like to do a quality control check. And what was it like? Well, what it was like was I started doing something and the good lady first said, oh, you're going to do that anecdote. And then I said something else, she went, oh, you're going to do that anecdote. And by the third time, when she said, you're doing that anecdote, I said, okay, fine, let's just, let's just listen to Classic FM. <laughs> no. <laughs> Greatest Hits Radio. No. Yes, but also... <laughs> Scala. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're in so much... You are in so much, so much trouble. Uh, let's blame it on Spiced Cider, which has, of course, been taken. What are you going to review later? Oh, I'm going to be reviewing uh, What Happens Later, which is a rom-com directed by Meg Ryan, starring Meg Ryan. So what happens... So actually, What Happens Later is What Happens Later. What Happens Later, later yes. Right. So What Happens Later is What Happens Later. Then Three Musketeers, Milady, uh, which is the second part of the new Three Musketeers adaptation. Godzilla minus one, and the drama, not the documentary, Next Goal Wins, with our special guests. Who are Taika Waititi and Jaya Salua. Um, So stand by for that, uh, because Next Goal Wins uh, is that particular movie. You haven't said Meg Ryan for years. No, I know, because she's been off our radar, but she's back. 
Oh, that's a very. I remember, I remember we did a run of interviews where everyone I was sent to interview had, had snogged Meg Ryan at some stage. What? Yes, Billy Billy Crystal, Tom Hanks, all these people said, and it became a running thing about what's what, it have like. Have you snogged Meg Ryan? What's it like to kiss Meg Ryan? I remember Billy Crystal going off, realizing realizing the joke and just saying, "Oh, it's just amazing," and then going into great detail about what it's like. <laughs> I don't remember that. Uh, also, I, I do remember not believing that she was a helicopter pilot. No, that is also true. Anyway, extra takes, of course. Uh, take two, which has landed alongside this particular uh, take, even more incomprehensible nonsense. Uh, the uh, TV movie of the week, take it or leave it, you decided. I don't think we're doing that actually this week. Anyway, bonus reviews. What are you, you reviewing elsewhere? We're going to be reviewing uh, Everybody, which is a very interesting documentary. Maestro, which we spoke of before, but is now coming to Netflix on the 20th. So I said we'd revisit it when it okay. comes to uh, Netflix, which is about to do. You've probably seen the posters are up uh, absolutely everywhere. And uh, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, which is the new uh, Ardman animation, which is also coming to uh, a home streaming uh, Netflix. And um, Pretentious Moi, I think, is is with, with uh, the season's generosity yes. at heart, is presenting you with an open goal. <sighs> Uh, one frame back, inspired by next goal wins. Uh, top football team, top football for <laughs> top football more, films. More spice cider, Simon. It's a very brief section. Top football films. I mean, how many have there been? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can access this via Apple Podcasts or head to extratakes.com for non-fruit related devices. Um, also, uh, can you let us know uh, your question? This is for our questions. Questions. Uh, festive edition. Let us know your questions, TV and film-related and schmestions, which are non-film-related, just about life, the universe and everything, uh, with a Christmas or New Year theme. For example, this is if, in case you haven't worked out what a Christmas or New Year theme question is, okay. why hasn't there been a sequel to Last Christmas with Amelia Clark yet? So that would be a suitable question to ask, okay. I think. Though no one's actually asked that for obvious reasons. You have to call it next Christmas. So it's going to go out on New Year's Day. So make sure you become part of the vanguard ahead of the new year. Uh, also, your top five films of the year, your worst five films of the year, all of that goes out on the 29th of December. You can email correspondence at kermanameo.com. Uh, so how long do you want to have for what happens later? By the uh, way? I'd like four minutes, really. Four minutes. Okay, let's make that, let's assume that means six. Um, <laughs> I'll just do one email. Enrico Vanni in Johnston, Renfrewshire. Mark and Simon, long-term listener, first-time emailer. You recently went from being my Friday home-from-work commute companions to joining me on my long Saturday morning walk, which usually takes in the cycle tracks and country roads near my home, but twice yearly shifts to the beaches of Tuscany. Do the country roads take him home? Always. Your recent interview with the great Jason of Isaacs once again brought up the subject of great actors being able to transform themselves through accents, uh, with some being greater at it than others. Jared Leto's comedy Italian accent <laughs> often being held up as a not-so-good example. It may surprise you to know that on these Tuscan walks, I have often passed groups of elderly local men standing on the shore with pot bellies and saggy speedos, tragically attempting to relive their suave days, arguing with each other and sounding and gesticulating exactly like Mr. Letter. <laughs> just as ridiculous, mind. Anyhow, that's not why I've emailed. Can I just say, I love the phrase pot bellies and saggy speedos. It's good, isn't it? That's definitely a band name. Um, a case of going from one extreme to the other, or maybe an example of you can't please all of the people all the also. time. Your salute to the Vanguardista yes. has gone from a grudging muffled grunt to an overblown, insincere-sounding performance identical to Tim Curry's hotel concierge character in Home Alone 2's... Oi, careful nervous, what you say about Tim Curry's overblown concierge fawning, character in 
nervously fawning response to Kevin McAllister's request to get down on your knees and tell me you love me. A happy medium, please. Okay, so... You see, it still says here, together, stentoriously. Now, yeah. this is the whole... But that's the problem. And you said yes. stentor, which heralds from the... Uh, he, he was at Stentor, was a herald of the Greek forces right. in the Trojan War. Uh, and he had a voice as powerful as 50 other men. Okay. And he lost his life in a shouting contest with Hermes. Sorry. The, the rather... is that, he, lost his, he lost his life in a shouting contest. Yes. So he shouted to death. He died later losing a shouting contest. Obviously, there were implications for losing a shouting contest with Hermes, the well known delivery company. <laughs> Anyway, so don't do that. <laughs> That's up there with the fact that, um, as I've said before, hiccuping is a sign of demonic possession because a pope wants hiccuped to death. Yes. Anyway, all of that was from the Iliad. So, Enrico, thank you very much indeed uh, for elevating the tone. So we're not hmm. going to do this stentoriously. How so are we going to do it? Well, just uh, if, if already you're a vanguardista, then as always, we, we salute, salute you. you. Is that right? We Mildly patronising from me, I think. Anyway, never okay. mind. Hopefully, um, Enrico... H how, okay about, how about... If you're already a vanguardista, you complete me. It was nauseating. Okay. Uh, you, so had me, you had me at vanguardista. No, that's even worse. Um, <laughs> you had me at whatever it is, $5.99 so, a month. Let's continue with a review of a cinematic release, which is, uh, which is out. What, what happens later? Yeah, what happens later? Rom-com co-written and directed by Meg Ryan, who also stars, based on Stephen Dietz's 2008 play, Shooting Star. So... Meg Ryan and David Duchovny are two travellers, William and Wilhelmina, who get stranded at an anonymous airport um, because weather's come in. We actually see her at one point going, where am I? Which airport is this? The point is, it's it's sort of, ev it's everywhere and nowhere, baby. Um, I bet it's not Stansted. <laughs> it's not, nor is it Gatwick. Um, so he is anxious and uh, he, he suffers from, uh, well, he, he's anxious and cynical. She is a magical thinker. He's got a briefcase with lots of documents. She's got a rain stick. Do you know what a rain stick is? No. The thing when you turn it goes, shh. You know, it's like a, it's a stick yeah. and it's got seeds in it. And when you do, it makes the sound of rain. It's a thing that What's you do. What's the point of that? Well, it's kind of relaxing and, you no, know, yoga-ifying. Anyway. Yoga-ifying. Yoga-ifying. Okay. You know, turns you into yogurt. It gradually becomes apparent that they were a couple. Here's the trailer for what happens nice. later. Hello, Wilhelmina. Hello, William. How have you been? Oh, for the last 20 years. 25, maybe. I've been 49 forever and ever and wow, ever. Wow, lucky you. I feel like I've been in my 50s since my 20s. <laughs> That's so true. But you don't have to agree with me. Attention, Boston and Austin passengers. Those flights have been delayed until further notice. Those two flights? Just us. Yes. That's unbelievable. unbelievable. They're saying this could be bad. The storm of the century. What are you worried about? Everything. I was diagnosed with anticipatory anxiety. Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. Right now, I'm worried that we're lost. Look around. We are looking around. Look around. Looking around. Relax. You're already living out your worst case scenario. What, being stuck here with you? Yeah. You make a good point. Okay, so, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm giving it a bit, a bit of time and yeah. space. I like the David Duchovny suffering from anticipatory anxiety. Yes. Um, so anyway... Over the series of conversations that they have in various parts of the of the airport, we start to learn about their past. We start to learn, you know, how they were in love, how he left her, or maybe he didn't, how they experienced joy and tragedy together, how they've been apart, and yet somehow there's been this kind of connection. He's constantly trying to call his daughter. She, at one point, answers his phone, speaks to his wife. Meanwhile, you heard that in the thing, the information tannoy, 
seems to be talking to them. So it will say something like, you know, all the flights cancelled. They go, what just does? And you go, yes. And then there are, you saw it again in that clip, which you didn't see if you're listening on a podcast. No. On the message boards, there are things like, everything is pending and, you know, don't leave your baggage, which all sort of speak to the relationship. So the film is dedicated to Nora Ephron, who, of course, you know, with whom Meg Ryan worked during that period of classic comedies. Nora Ephron wrote uh, When Harry Met Sally, and then they worked together in um, Sleepers in Seattle and uh, You've Got Mail. And the setting of it is kind of like, you remember the Spielberg film, The Terminal, which was based on mm-hmm. a true story, I mean, loosely based on a true story, but that idea that an airport is a stateless place. It's like it's out of time, it's out of place. It's a, And... Maybe I mean this. I know this sounds ridiculous, but there's maybe even a touch of Samuel Beckett's waiting for Godot in there because it, you know it's a sort of like I said, it's everywhere and nowhere, and it's inc- everywhere and nowhere, baby. baby. Yes. Which is why I made that joke earlier on, but you didn't respond. But thank you for getting to it later on. It's like pl- I just tuned back in. <laughs> That's I, where it's at. I don't know why I bother. Carry on. So. There's a question, but you know, are they on a trip or are they on a journey? A journey being a sort of, you know, journey of discovery, and it's incredibly contrived, and it really shouldn't work, but it kind of does. And it, I mean, it's essentially a two-hander, although the three, if you count the voice, which is how Liggett apparently, and sort of when I started watching it, I was like, okay, this isn't, you know, obviously because the Norefrons are so, the, you know, such a high bar. You think, well, this isn't in the same league, but weirdly enough, it started to get under my skin. I started to quite like the thing about the the absent space of the airport. It's rather well directed. David Duchovny's hangdog, you know, anticipatory. He says it in we say anticipatory uh, anxiety thing. Is I love David Duchovny. I think there's something about him on screen. He just he's got a fantastic sense of sort of miserable ennui about him that I find really charming. And Meg Ryan is funny. I mean, as you know, no surprise to know this. She's got great comic timing. So, okay, it shouldn't work. It's massively contrived, and there is. I think it's very likely that um, some people will just go, "No, okay, I'm not buying this." I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just. But I did, and it, and it, I enjoyed it much more than I expected that I was going to. And I think it is rather well directed. Excellent. Uh, uh, thank you. That no, was you're more than welcome. That was thanks that was, for listening. No, that was good. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, yes, I listen to, to everywhere and nowhere, baby. Uh, later on, Mark is going to be reviewing these films. I'm going to be reviewing the new uh, Three Musketeers movie, which is called Three Musketeers Milady. Yes, Milady. Yes, Milady. Uh, Godzilla minus one, which I think, uh, as the title suggests, uh, is a uh, new Godzilla movie. Um, and also, next goal wins with our special guests. Uh, Taika Waititi and Jaya Salura. And also now part four of a new feature, which is called Wise Wise Words, ah. in which Mark and I, in alternating weeks, have to guess the artist and terrible song during the break. And last week, you didn't get it. Well, you forgot. No, anyway. I, no I got I, I I forgot to prepare one, and I came up with one brilliantly on the spur of the moment. So here's today's. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. Hang your stocking, say a prayer, because Santa Claus comes tonight. The next lyrics are... Yeah, hang on. Back in a moment. So we just wanted to tell you about what our friends at Rooftop Film Club are up to. As you know, they are London's king of outdoor cinema. More than just a movie with Rooftop Experiences located at Bussy Building in Peckham and Roof East in Stratford. 
Sit back, relax, get cosy in a blanket and use the QR code on your seat to have food and drink delivered directly to you. They're playing all the award-winning films like Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us Strangers, but also classics like Interstellar, When Harry Met Sally, and more recent films like Challengers and Fall Guy. Rooftop Film Club offers memberships for as little as £25 per month. That's not all. As a Vanguard Easter, you get two-for-one tickets on a Wednesday with the code THETAKE24. That's T-H-E-T-A-K-E. 24. Visit rooftopfilmclub.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. And your stocking, say a prayer, because Santa, Santa Claus, Claus comes, comes tonight. tonight. Is it rocking around the Christmas tree? No, it's here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa, Santa Claus, Claus coming down, down Santa Claus Lane. Or... Or, as Twisted Bob Roberts said, there's another Santa Claus, there's another Santa Claus, there's another Santa Claus there. Remember that? No. From Bob Roberts' Chris, twist, Twisted Christmas. No, not Bob Roberts. What's he called? Bob Rivers' Twisted Christmas. Bob Rivers' Christmas. Twisted Christmas. Bob Roberts is a film. Uh, Gene Autry, 1947, originally. Yeah. No, I should have got that. Um, there's a... What's the, what's Richie that? in Hampton. There's Martin's- a Santa who looks a lot like Elvis. Richie in Hampton, uh, Margaret Simon, a very long-term listener. I sometimes have memories that I'm not sure that I dreamt or not, becoming <laughs> more frequent as I yeah. get older. Welcome to the club, However, kid. when Simon in the last take two said that he never did impressions, a memory jumped in that I'm pretty sure happened. Mm-hmm. It may have been a dream. My memory is that of Simon doing a fuzzy bear impression. Oh, yeah, you did. Did yeah. that happen? Yeah, Hello? that happened. It happened a lot. Well, the thing is, it was... This is a, a timeless reference. Uh, it's sort of somewhere between Fozzie Bear and Douglas Hurd, who was foreign secretary for a while. <laughs> I so, remember who Douglas Hurd was. Uh, well, I was just explaining, okay. obviously, for the teens um, who, were, who were dialing in. <laughs> so the fuzzy, the fuzzy, the fuzzy, fuzzy Bear. The Fuzzy Bear's, ha! Hiya, hiya, hiya! I'm Still foreign good. secretary! It's still good. And you have to do the hands. <laughs> Hello to Jason, down with politicians that seem to think that they can say dogs are cats, black is white, or unsafe is safe without consequences. Hmm, Ooh. Richie. Um, thank you very much. Um, yes, Thomas Smythe just heard you being asked on questions, schmestions, what you consider the most elegant word in the English language. Oh, yeah, what did we come According up with? According to Dorothy Parker, it's cellar door which seems a strange yeah, choice yeah. until you disassociate the word's sound from the meaning. Imagine it was spelled a little differently and you were told it was the kingdom of elves in the Lord yeah. of the Rings. I have heard that before, the Celador. In fact, there is a company called Celador, isn't there? There is. I worked for them once upon a time back in the day. Really? Yes. And were they named Celador because of the thing about Celador being the perfect sounding? I, imag- I imagine so. I didn't hang around long enough to find out. Okay. What did you make for Celador? Uh uh, winning Lines, uh, which is a lottery show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sam in Birmingham, um, following on your discussion the most elegant word, I would like to raise you the most delightful word in the English language, toadstool. What a <laughs> wonderful word. Looking at a toadstool, you think, oh, yes, a toad would actually sit on that. Anyway, I like but, that. But that can't be why it's called a toadstool. 
Yeah, I think so. I think is it, it because you think it would? It's, it's the kind of thing. If you if you were a toad, you'd sit on a toadstool. No, but okay, but that's one of those words when you think toadstool. Okay, it's called that because a toad was certain stool. And then it turns out it's from a word called todistolon, oh, which we've means taken it from the Icelandic. Yeah, which means mushroom implant or something. You know, yeah. don't eat this is what it's called. <laughs> so the box office top ten, but the streamers first of all, okay. Red Devil Dixie says um, on this is on Leave the World Behind. Oh yes, which classic I like very premise, much. quality actors then. Good actors, ambiguous characters, gradual build-up of tension. It's all going well, bubbling along with more ingredients being added to the pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dystopia has arrived and we've bought it on ourselves by the things that we have all done or not done. Well, not done. And there is no health in us. Mysterious goings-on are presented uh, for you to nod along knowingly. You feel smart. You are smart. You can't anticipate the ending as you're watching. There are too many themes to join up. Uh, not a problem, though. Uh, one of the themes will be followed through to a final denouement, surely. Well, no, actually. One well, of the yes. characters has their wish fulfilled and the rest are left in a will-they-won't-they they limbo. Interesting yeah. to watch, but ultimately unsatisfying. Uh, an email from Vin Hawke. Dear Messrs. Kermode and Mayo, please accept my gratitude. The time you took from your busy schedules to review our little film, Battle Over Britain, this Who's this week. from? Vin Hawke. Okay. A.K.A. Nathan Walker, the loudmouth mank character in Battle Over Oh, Britain. right, right, right. Okay. Aside from the fact that I heartily agree... Uh, that we did a blooming good job, especially on a budget of 0.05% versus that of Masters of the Air. It was humbling to hear your encouragement and enjoyment of the film, especially so, seeing as I've been a fan of the podcast and radio shows for years. Kindness regards for myself, and I'm very, and I'm positive, everyone else. Uh, Vin Hawke. Oh, very nice. Um, Thank you. And he says, uh, www.battleoverbritain.com is the website. Last screen is in Sleaford, in Lincolnshire on Sunday. Um, Insert joke about Sleaford Bods here. And it, I don't know if they're going to be in attendance, but it arrives on DVD and Blu-ray in January, a phrase I haven't said for a long, long uh, (laughs) time. Good. Excellent. Physical media is the future. Uh, Number 10 uh, is The Peasants. Yes. Well, I liked it. Sorry, I I think there's an email that you're about to read first, isn't there? Yes. Um, From... um, I'm just trying to see who this is from. Is there a name? I don't know. It's been redacted in my copy. They don't let me see. Uh... Romanian from an, a Romanian expat currently residing in Bermondsey in London, Vanguard Easter heritage listener, second time emailer. Hopefully, this time it'll be read out. I think uh, a name is needed for this from Stefan. Thank you very much, Stefan. Thanks for this. The movie struck a chord for the good lady software engineer indoors and I, as one of the quintessential Romanian novels we have to study in high school. Oh, really? Is Yawn by Liviu Robrenu. Yawn was also t- this was written I O N by the way. Okay. Yawn was also turned into a film in 1980, eagerly used as propaganda by the communist regime that was in power at the time to show how boyars, who are the privileged class of rich landowners, subdued the peasant class. The story is very similar uh, to Jagner's, but from the man's perspective, Yawn is poor, obsessed by getting land, and does anything to get it. He marries the richest girl in the village, but then proceeds to abuse her and cheat with his cheat on her with his true love, Anna, one of the poorest but most beautiful in the village. Both films show on par with Jagner's story, how much in Eastern European culture women were susceptible to being sold, used, and abused for land and power. At the end of the screening, there was a Q&A with Hugh Welchman who mentioned all the paintings that make up the movie are for sale and that anyone, well. can, anyone can own a piece of this wonderful movie. I'll leave the website here, which is... 
um, shop.thepeasantmovie.com. We walked back home from the cinema, remembering our summer times in the countryside, our smiling grandparents always wanting to share stories of their youth, or the taste of sour cherries freshly picked from the tree. <laughs> Down with the usual, up with kindness and forgiveness. That's from Stefan on yeah. The Peasants. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, you, you know much more about this than I do. I, I was just struck by how... I thought the film was powerful, and I think that the the technique that's used, which I said is kind of uh, you know evocative of uh, loving Vincent, I thought it worked because it enabled the film to have its really really dark moments, but it kind of gave you a, a you know a, a layer of um, it's a, when when it because of the painting, it sort of slightly distances you in a way which you I think you need to be distanced during some of the tougher moments, and it's also very beautiful at times. Number nine is Home Alone. Back in the cinemas. <laughs> or, as it's also known, Straw Dogs for Kids. That old thing. Number eight is Elf, 20th anniversary of that. It's so just, it's just in the cinema. How old do we all feel that all these anniversaries are happening? Uh, number seven, number five in the States is Renaissance, a film by Beyoncé. That's the concert film. Number six here, number nine in the States is Animal. As I said, not press screened. Um, if anybody has seen it, has anybody sent us an, uh, an email? Not. No. Number five uh, here is Saltburn, which I like very much. I think it's, I think it's Emerald Fennell growing as a filmmaker. Um, also, weirdly enough, in talking about it, not enough attention given to just how good Richard E. Grant is in that film. He is. There is a scene at the end of that film when when his whole life has sort of fallen apart. And he's at a dinner table sort of looking bedraggled. And without saying almost anything at all, he, he everything about him conveys catastrophe. And I think he's, a, he's such a talented actor. Number four here, number seven in the States is Napoleon. Napoleon. I did a Q&A thing the other night and... Um, Somebody said, uh, you know, what did I think of Napoleon? I said to them, and uh, it was a, a, a woman, and I, and I said, and what did you think? She said, I, I didn't like it. And I said, okay, why not? She said, it wasn't violent enough. I said, I beg your pardon? She said, just the battle scenes, I thought they were quite pretty. Went, what, including the horse getting hit by the cannonball and the people running at each other with pointing. She said, yes, I, I just think it should have been nastier. Well... I suppose if they were being realistic, it probably would have been, but there's a limit to what you can take. Yeah, I thought they were pretty nasty. I was just surprised that that was the, that that was the you know, the sticking point. Not nasty enough. Number three here, number three in the States, The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Mm, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's done better than I expected, but I suppose that's because the, you know, it's a, such a popular IP. I like the Hunger Games movies, but they did, they did decline from the first one, and I... I don't know that this was essential, but people have clearly enjoyed it. Number two here, number six in America is Wish. Which is Disney telling you how great its back catalogue is and me agreeing with them and then wondering why it's, they're not doing work on a par with that back catalogue. So number, and number one, it's not out in America yet, is Wonka. Which is no surprise at all. Okay, so uh, Andy Acheson. Uh, Heritage listener, third time emergency mailer. It was just wonderful. My wife and I are in our mid-thirties. Our three daughters are eight, six and four respectively. And my dad, who is 68, joined us and even paid for the tickets, which was marvellous. So that's three generations. Wow. It was pretty enchanting from start to finish, but what will live longest in my memory was a moment early on in the film when Wonka had first given out his hover chocks to the excited crowd. 
These are chocolates that make you hover. Yes, many of whom were now floating in midair. I looked along the back row we were sitting on to see my four-year-old perched on my wife's knee with both her arms in the air as though they were being pulled up by magical strings. Wow. Totally enraptured in the moment, oh. eyes wide, some subconsciously imagining that she too was floating under the mystical power of Wonka's magical chocolate. Stunning. It received a hearty 10 out of 10 from our four, six, 34, 37 and 68-year-old attenders, Sadly, my eight-year-old daughter, who is something of a strictly addict, could only muster 9.9. <laughs> we think, I mean, it's never going to cope with that. We think it's a must-watch family film, and I know times are tight financially, but see it in the cinema if you can. It is so worth it. The whole cast is superb, but Olivia Colman, Tom Davis, and Hugh Grant are particularly memorable. Mark, give it another watch. It deserves as much. Well, um, no, I mean, look, I you know, I wasn't as crazy about it as, as that, but, or, nor indeed do you, but you absolutely loved it. And I, I think what you said is the, the, the key to all this. You went in thinking, do I need a Willy Wonka prequel and 10 minutes in you went oh yes i, I do you know? happy, yes. harvey morton in sheffield dear mrs scrubbit and bleacher and your fantastic production team as soon as the film started i had a huge smile on my face i thought the songs were brilliant and the film was full of so much magic it made me feel nostalgic and reminded me of some of my childhood favorites that i grew up with like the original chronicles of narnia film the lion the witch in the wardrobe and the classic 1971 gene wilder wonka film it was clear that paul king and simon farnaby had clearly crafted wonka with love and humour. I first saw Timothée Chalamet in Call Me By Your Name, which had a huge impact on me personally as I was coming to terms with who I was. And I've followed his work with great interest ever since. Admittedly, he isn't the best dancer or singer, but his charisma and exuberance carries him through it all. I th I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the film. I actually think, I think he does sing and dance well. I thought he was more of a song and dance man than I expected. Is this a five-star film? Probably not. But what made it one of my favourites of the year is that I was so wrapped up in the Christmas magic of it all. It was so wholesome and watching it in a packed cinema full of lots of smiling faces made it one of my favourite cinema experiences okay. of the year. Thank you for your company every Friday. I started listening during the show's previous incarnation when I was still in school. I always look forward to coming home and listening to the newest episode of the podcast. I've always been inspired by you both and have been fortunate enough to start sharing my own film reviews on the radio and as written pieces in recent years. Down And down with a chocolate cartel. And hello to Jason. I think it's great that people are having such a good experience in the cinema. I mean, put, on the one hand, it's great for cinemas because, as I said, being friends with a few cinema managers, there is nothing that makes them heave a bigger sigh of relief than some, you know, a packed cinema of people of all ages, that three generations of family yes. going to see a thing and thinking, wow, this it doesn't get any better It than certainly this. is a cinema you can take your kids and your parents to if you want yeah, to do that three-generational thing because the parents and the grandparents will yeah, remember the original. Yeah. Matt in Aberdeen, we took a, a group of 10-year-old girls to see Wonka for a birthday party. Everyone enjoyed it, but there was no discussion about the best bits during the meal afterwards. And in the car on the way home, they wanted to listen to the Barbie soundtrack <laughs> rather than any of the songs from the film. Overall, good, but not Paddington. Tickety Tonk and hello to Cary Grant. We'll do our very best, Matt, uh, to pass that on. After the break, Taika Titi and Jaya Salua, and next goal wins. Hello, Kermode and Mayo listeners. We want to tell you about another show you're going to love, Dinners on Me with Jesse 
Tyler Ferguson. You may know Jesse as Mitchell on Modern Family or for his Tony Award-winning performance in Take Me Out on Broadway. Each week, Jesse takes a different celebrity guest out to eat at a restaurant chosen just for them. No repeats. Past guests include Sofia Vergara, Brian Cranston, Mandy Moore, Chelsea Clinton and Ed O'Neill. More than 30 episodes are available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, today's guests are director, writer and producer Taika Waititi and American Samoan footballer Jaya Salua, who spoke to us about their new film Next Goal Wins. You'll hear our interview with both Taika and Jaya after this clip from the movie. Look at this, look at this, this bit right here, right here. This guy's been fired from his last three jobs because he can't control himself. I don't know, he seems okay now. Maybe he's different. Sure. I mean, look at this place. You've got a keyboard, a mouse, and no screen. None of this makes any sense. You don't even have a full squad of players out there. No wonder you're the worst team in the world. Saronga, you have made your point, and now let me make mine. Now, we here at FAS are honored that you are here. We want to improve, we want to learn from you, but we will not deny who we are just to win. These are our customs, these are our ways. Your ways are You're failing. It's torture coaching this team. That is a clip from Next Goal Wins. I'm very delighted to say we've been joined by its writer and director, Taika Waititi. Hello, Taika. Hello. Uh, also, uh, Jaya Salua, member of the American Samoa football team that Next Goal Wins is about. First openly non-binary trans woman to compete in a FIFA World Cup qualifier. Hello, Jaya. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm Simon. This is Mark. I've seen the movie. Mark has seen the documentary on which this is based. So we're, between us, we've covered all the bases. Tag team. Um, that's right. Uh, Taika, in- introduce us to your movie, please. Introduce us to, uh, to Next Goal Wins. So I'm Taika Waititi, and I'm the filmmaker behind Next Goal Wins, which is um, tells the tale, the true tale of um, the American Samoan football team who famously lost um, one of the biggest losses, in fact, the biggest international loss in history, 31-0 against Australia in 2001. And this movie follows the story of how they turned themselves around, got a new coach in and um, and moved from the bottom of the FIFA rankings. Um, and they uh, picked themselves up and went on to some, some success. And did you know, because I mentioned there's a documentary which has the same title. When you saw that documentary, Taika, did you know straight away that this was a movie for you? Yes, I saw the documentary and I thought it was fantastic. And I thought what the world needs is for me to take that documentary and change lots of facts and uh, make it more entertaining and put jokes in it and add weird characters like a priest. So, um, so Jaya, explain where you fit in uh, with this story. I was, the documentary was um, different in the sense that I was one story of many different stories in the documentary that basically made the storyline something special. Um, But what's pretty um, rewarding and fulfilling for me personally is that Taika um, made Jaya's character uh, one of the lead female roles in the movie. And not only is that special to the trans community to see a lead trans female um, in a Hollywood feature film. It's also special to the Fafafine community who are um, specific to Samoa, but also to the region, the Pacific region, and a lot of indigenous cultures around the world to see 
all the wonderful things about our our culture that is inclusive and um, that has a special role and place for people like myself. Can you just explain a little bit more about that particular uh, section of American Samoan culture, which you said, Fafafina, can you just explain a little bit how how, how your approach differs to uh, the rest of the world? The, the literal translation of the word is in the manner of a woman. And so culturally, we understand and realize that our existence is um, closely associated with the, the fact that we are assigned the male gender at birth and we embrace that. It's a part of who we are. Um, and also the Fafafine identity is has a place in society in the sense that our binary system, our gender, gender binary system is inclusive of it's not just two genders in in um, Samoa. It's Tine, Tama, and Fafafine, and Fatama. There's basically four. Um, and the word Fafafine, which I am, is an umbrella term in, of its own, um, which is anybody who was assigned the male gender at birth and expresses otherwise. Jaya, can I ask you, uh, what I know about football would not fill the back of a postage stamp. Simon is a huge football fan, but I have never in my life seen a football uh, match. I punched the air at the end of the documentary that uh, that you're such a big part of. And I thought it was the first time I'd actually seen a football film that made me care about whether or not the ball goes in the back of the net. And you must have had this response from many people. The triumph of it is that you don't have to love football to love that documentary. Has that carried through into the feature that Taika has made? Definitely. Um, I think people are, all the audiences that I've been in, um, Sharing the experience, watching the the film, everyone has had the same uh, reaction to that they had if they've seen the documentary. That's the beauty of the the movie. It just appeals to so many different demographics. You don't necessarily have to be a football fan to to enjoy the storyline that is ours, um, but also Taika's creativity helped to make it a lot more interesting. And Taika, since the documentary is so dramatic, what was it that you thought, okay, I mean, you made a joke about it just now, you know, I added stuff to it that wasn't necessary, but what was it that made you think, okay, this is the root of a of a dramatic feature as opposed to a doc? I think just because, yeah, I love a good sports film, um, but this was like an amazing story about real underdogs who'd suffered this, this massive loss and which a loss that would have deterred a lot of people, I think, from playing again and have the determination and tenacity to pick themselves up and to and to, to keep trying is something that's very inspirational to me. Um, not to mention that it was set in the Pacific. I'd been, I was pretty homesick. I'd just been making two films outside of New Zealand and outside of Polynesia. And it was a great opportunity to get home and to put Pacific Islanders on, on screen and to tell our stories and to show out parts of our culture to the world. You, you said... Taika, when you got your Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, for Jojo Rabbit, you said, I dedicate this to all the indigenous kids in the world who want to do art and write stories. We are the original storytellers. It is, this is very much part of what you were talking about there. Yeah, and and, and also the type of storytelling. We, you know, in the Pacific, traditionally, it's uh, an oral tradition, right? So, um, you know, there was no written word, everything. All stories were told with 
song, dance, and spoken word and poetry. And as a result, every time you tell a story, you embellish it and like more and more things change. And like that's how you get myths and legends is suddenly like someone like, you know, fished up some islands and, um, and you know, it was probably just a good fisherman. And next thing you know, he's fished up bloody New Zealand. So, um, so you know, so and that's what's great. It's like retelling these stories. I've definitely taken that approach and, you know, added fantastical elements to this. Part of the film takes place in the future with being told in a flashback. Um, and I think allowing yourself um, that is also very reflective of the way that we tell stories in, in the Pacific. Um, Michael Fassbender plays uh, Thomas Rongen, who is this uh, kind of coach with a few problems of his own, who's brought in to uh, see what he can do with with the football team. Uh, why, why Michael? We're, we're used to Michael Fassbender. Because he's so hilarious. Of, You've seen all his he, films. Yeah, well, actually, um, we... we one of the funniest we, actors of our generation. He actually is. That was actually a really pleasant surprise because I've always been a fan of his, his um, dramatic work. And... Um, originally, the idea was that he would, might become more of a fall guy for the rest of the team and the community around him. And then I just, the more I got to know him, I realized he's also he holds his own um, in the comedic department. He's a great improviser and also just a great person to have on your side. He, yeah, and he brought a lot to that character, which, um, again, Thomas in real life is a sweetheart and this doesn't yeah, was not as lost as uh, we've made out in the film. And... You know, in order to to tell a story in my style, you know, I need to kind of change characters and and have my way with them. Uh, Jaya, you knew the the original Thomas Ronger. What? How does Michael Fassbender's version compare, as far as you're concerned? Um, they're very similar in the way they talk, the mannerisms, and how serious they take football. But they're also very different and unique in Thomas's version that we see in Taika's um, story movie is. A lot more troubled and lost, like like I mentioned. Um, but it's not completely inaccurate to the real Thomas. He also, when he came to American Samoa, he had a lot of issues of his own that he learned to deal with when he came to American Samoa. And in, in many ways, my people um, helped him deal with those issues. So basically... Um, they're very similar characters. One's extremely good looking and the other one is Michael Fassbender. <laughs> There's one thing that I do, do want to mention, Taika, and that is filming football. I had a conversation this week with with a uh, an internationally famous uh, footballer, former captain of England, and he was saying how impossible it is to film football correctly. It's very difficult because actors don't look like footballers do. Uh, that's the first issue. How did you go about, I think it's a triumph for the film that actually I do feel as though I'm watching the American Samoa team. Tell me how you went about filming football. Well, we had some, um, we had like uh, the two guys who made the documentary, Mike Brett and Steve Jamison, and they were at that game. So they knew the plays of the game and the narrative, mm. the, yeah, the whole narrative of the game. So they designed, you know, where we should be seeing things and how we should see it, because it's not really my background. I'm more of a rugby guy. But I agree that it's very hard to make football look exciting as well. Mm. Um, as for like them looking like players, you know, that's the great thing about the American Samoan documentary and the people that we got, the Samoan actors, is they didn't really need to um, look like your traditional players that people expect. And um, and also they didn't need to practice. Uh, yeah, need to, I asked if they, if they should take lessons. And I said, oh, under no circumstances should you learn how to play football. 
What do you think are the great football films? Because you mentioned you need to make a football drama. Are there football films that you've looked at in the past and thought, well, that that really gets it right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot. Of, like when you start watching films ones. back, you know, after years, you think I always I always notice how clunky filmmaking is, um, especially in the eighties and nineties. And so I don't know. I um, again, I don't know what looks authentic. All I know is like that. You know, we've tried really hard to make it look good on this film, and I, and I watch it. And the people I know, you know, who watch the that, especially the end game in the film, um, you know, think that they really believe that, you know, that that's how the game would have unfolded, and that's yeah, the people are in the right places when you're passing the ball and everything. <laughs> and Jaya, what will, do you think will be the impact of this movie on uh, on American Samoa and what, how people approach? Uh, American Samoa. People are going to want to come and 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 see what's going on. I think. Um, I, if anything, people are a lot more interested in American Samoa than they would have been prior to this movie. Um, we have nothing going on for ourselves in American Samoa, um, but people will get to see our culture and our people and our way of life in this film, and um, hopefully take pieces of our culture and to their homes and their communities to make them more. Um, happier. I'm just struck, Taika, maybe this must feel like ancient history to you because pre-COVID days feels like another lifetime. And you did this in 2020 and there's been COVID since. There have been actors and writers strikes. This must feel like a lifetime ago for you. Yeah. um, It was the end of 2019. We shot this. So that's four years this month ago that that we shot this thing. And then I had it like 14 months away from it with the pandemic. And then I went off and shot Thor and made another whole other movie. Um, And then got to edit it in 2022. So it's been a long time coming, but again, it's just... (laughs) Uh, yeah, one lesson I've learned is like, don't give up. And like, there's, you know, there's, the, you know, this film, you know, I think some of those things would made it feel like, you know, the film, like the, some, someone didn't want the film to be seen, you know, with like the this, pandemic and a some- strike and everything. And to <laughs> finally numbers. bring it out is actually like a real, got a real sense of achievement. But is there something to be gained from uh, having the distance from shooting? Directors always talk about, you know, you go straight out the shooting into editing. Is, is there something that you gain from having that gap? Yeah, I always like to take time in the editing part of it. Um, I never thought I'd have this much time, but um, it was <laughs> it was good for me. Like I, you know, I, I finished shooting the film, and then I don't know, like almost a year and a half later, I got to watch it, and I thought, oh, I know what's wrong with this. An idiot made this, and so I, you know, I, I started changing things, and uh, you know, I figured out how to shape the story um, and into you know what is now a really good film. Uh, Taika Waititi, Jaya Salua, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate it very much. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, guys. Appreciate it. And actually, that's another... We were talking about Wonka in yes. terms of a, a film that you can quite happily go and see with your kids and with your parents, you know, yeah. do the whole three-generational thing. And this is one of those movies. So I think you can happily go, you know, whatever your family combination is, uh, over Christmas and New Year, here's something that you can actually all watch together. So the interesting thing about this for me, and um, so the, the the film certificate is uh, it's a 12A. Well, I'm just looking this up. Oh, the yeah. yeah, no, 12. That's fine. The the documentary it looks like oh, it's was a language a, was, thing, was, it, it, yeah. was a 15. Yeah. So um, okay, yes, I, I should then based on what you said, I should say 
Yes, fair enough. It's not like Wonka. Yes. <laughs> it's Wonka that has no bad language in it. But I remember really clearly seeing the, the documentary and I reviewed it, you know, when we were doing the show together. And of course, you know a lot about football and I don't. And I said, I went back to my review, I said, whether or not you give two hoots about the beautiful game, and I don't, this charming and uplifting documentary will have you cheering for the underdogs and wishing that all footballers were this humble, this determined, and just this plain decent. And then I talked about... So you're quoting yourself there. No, because I'm just putting this in context. And I'm saying that, that Jaya tackles hard, comes up smiling, and wins the respect of, uh, of gruff coach Thomas uh, Ronkin. So... The first question is, do you need a dramatization? Which kind of harks back to, do you need a, 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 a Wonka prequel? The, probably not. But the thing is, it's a lovely story. I mean, it is a genuinely lovely, heartwarming story. And I think that right now, a lovely story about people coming together in, you know, unexpected circumstances is very important. At the very beginning, um, we're told that, you know, this is a true story, but there have been some dramatic licenses taken. So the dramatic licenses are things like the coach, he didn't have a temper or a drinking problem. He wasn't fired for, for you know, for, for throwing chairs around on the side of the pitch. He wasn't estranged from his wife, although he did have a family tragedy. And he never, ever in real life questioned Jaya, you know. So those things are kind of put in for dramatic effect. And I'm not entirely sure that you need because, in a way, the, the story itself is so is so great and so perfect that I'm not sure that it actually needed that tweaking. But if we accept that you're you're going to dramatize something and turn it into that, fine. Okay, so those dramatic licenses which you'll take. So the question is, does the drama then tell the story in a way which is charming and uplifting and all the rest of it? And I think that it kind of does. I don't think it's as good as the documentary because the documentary was so special. And the documentary, I mean, I really mean it when I say the documentary was the first football film that I ever really got football. But um, as the coach, Fassbender is, he is funny because he plays it straight because he doesn't play, you know, it's like uh, people saying the way you play drunk is that you try to play sober because drunks act sober. The way you play comedy is you do it straight because that makes it funnier. I think the whole thing about the team who I've just, they're at the bottom of the bottom of the everything. And all they want to do is, you know, they, this thing just keeps repeated, just one goal, just one, just one goal. And in a way, because the dramatic setup is so simple and so perfect, like literally get the team to score one goal, just win once. That by the, even with all my kind of, okay, well, I love the documentary and why are we going back to this? I got to confess that when we got into the final, when, the, when they're finally doing the match, I was suddenly feeling exactly the same way. And they do, there's a thing about um, cutting back to the people watching on television, which is, a, you know, it's kind of, it's an age old trope, but it works rather well. I mean, it's, you know, it's not a work of genius. It's quite dramatically clunky and, you know, but it's such a heartwarming story. And honestly, if people go and see this who would never have seen the documentary. Yeah, so more people, it's a Taika Waititi film, more people are going to see it. Precisely. And if you do see it and you do like it, watch the documentary because the doc is so, is so empowering and so lovely. And I think this is done, it's clearly done with, with you know, love and affection, isn't it? It's clearly made by somebody who and, thinks this story is worth yeah. trumpeting. And also from, from what Taika was saying, 
the people who were responsible for the documentary were there to help them oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. make sure that this yeah. football match was the way it was yeah. supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, and, 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 and also because because the story has now kind of passed into modern legends. We're saying we said that thing about the fisherman who fished up the islands and pulled up New Zealand. Um, he's a great conversationalist, isn't he? He is really, really fun. He's fun company. But no, it was, yeah. It's it's such a lovely story that yeah go and see it. and particularly at the moment this is the kind of thing in which it's you know the triumph of the underdogs pulling together and going just one goal just one goal and next goal wins is the is the name of the movie so um which I mean with comedy absolutely writ large having spoken to Taika Waititi it therefore leads us very very directly and clearly into the laughter lift don't you think. Uh, if you say so. Taika would approve. You know Taika would approve. Play the music. Hey, hey, hey. All right, Mark. Mm-hmm. Been a little bit loud in my head. <laughs> it was a little, a little bit less. Been watching a few James Dean classics this week. Fun fact. Okay. Did you know that he never believed in Father Christmas? No. He was a rebel without a clause. Hey! Okay. Did so- you know I used to be in a band that were described as rebels without applause? That's also That's good. a better joke. No, it's not. Uh, right, Mark, knock, knock. Knock, knock. Oh, sorry, who's there? <laughs> so do it again. If you don't know the format, sorry, then... Sorry, sorry. I could pass it. Sorry, do it again. Knock, knock. Who's there? Ho, ho, ho. Ho, 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 who? Well, not bad, but you need to work on your Father Christmas <laughs> uh, just a little bit. How much does Father Christmas pay to park his sleigh? I don't know. Nothing. It's on the house. No, it's on the house. It's yeah. on the house. Very good. Hey, Mark, he'll be... Uh, Hard for the good lady ceramicist her indoors to beat last year's present. She got me a universal remote. It changed everything. Okay. Not as good as it's on the house. No, on the house is... Uh, on the house promise, is good, I yeah. Because it's literally, it's on the house. Yeah, the that's right. on the house. The house. It's kind of on the house. Bad for your slates, incidentally. Back after this, unless you're a vanguardista, in which case we have just one question. What... And this is fantastic, by the way. Okay, okay, okay. This is the moment... I'm afraid to say this is the moment of the of the show that people will be talking about. Okay. What is an interesting thing about the grandson of the tenth president of the United States, John Tyler, who was born in 1790? So I repeat that, and we'll take some ads. What is an interesting thing? I mean, it's, it's not even worth. Okay, I'm not going to get there. But. About the grandson of the tenth president of the United States, John Tyler, born in 1790. Answer after this. So, an interesting thing about the grandson of the 10th president of the United States, John Tyler, mm-hmm. born in 1790. When I read that, I thought, is it going to be something to do with Watt Tyler, who was the leader of the Peasants' Revolt? Is that kind of... I thought it was going to be, was he one of the first people to be killed by an automobile, like no. the poet who wrote in Dilworth Grove? The answer is, the grandson of the 10th president of the United States yes. is still alive. What? So. Harrison Ruffin Tyler was born in 1928. Right. Okay, that's who we're talking about. His father, Lion Gardner, L-Y-O-N, Gardner, who was John Tyler's youngest son, was 75. John Tyler was 63 when he had Lion Gardner. Which, so so that's from Lion, John, Lion, Harrison Ruffin Taylor is still alive. Okay, he's old. The grandson of the 10th president of the United States is still alive. Yes. 
So somebody who was alive at the same time as Mozart has a living grandchild because John Tyler was born in 1790 and Mozart died in 1791. Wow. So the equivalent of being alive now and having a living grandchild in 2256. What day are we recording this? Friday. So, so That's astonishing. So, my, so how old is he? He's 94. 94? So it'd be the equivalent of, say, my grandson. Yeah. Having a, a living grandchild in 2256, which feels like the space age. Wow. Anyway. Probably have the, have the grandchild in space. If you went around the table, your Christmas table, and said, <laughs> anyone have a guess? Tell, just guess something about the grandson of the 10th president. No one is going to say, I bet he's still alive. <laughs> anyway, um, Jonathan Paxton, BA Honours in Literature and Media Studies. Dear Margot and Sharon, I listened with interest to last week's podcast in which it was claimed that there are two cinematic occasions in which Margot Robbie watches her own big screen performances yes. within a film. Yeah. I cannot clarify on whether or not she does so in Babylon, having not had the time or headspace to view it. Yes, she does. Yeah. I would, though, like to dismiss the claim that she does so in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In that film, Margot Robbie plays rather well, if a little underused, the movie star Sharon Tate, and does indeed, within the film, pay to see a screening of The Wrecking Crew, which yeah. Sharon had a supporting role in. Yes. However, the film on the screen is the original version of the film, including Sharon Tate's actual performance. Yeah, but so Miss Robbie does not appear in the film within the film. She, and indeed we, are watching and reacting to and appreciating Miss Tate's performance, laughing at her pratfalls and appreciating her warm screen presence. Whilst I'm happy to be corrected, I did find this information out earlier this year, whilst revising for my mastermind appearance, where my specialist well, subject was, was the films of Quentin Tate. Tarantino. Despite having gone deep into the whole Tarantino canon, even Death Proof, which I actually quite enjoyed. Which I, I called Death Wish last week. I could only finish a distinguished fourth behind, far, which I think is last, behind the far better quizzes than me, but had a great day. Either of you should definitely give a celebrity version of the show a run. I have been asked, Jonathan, the answer is absolutely Yeah, and mine was yes. not, it, yes, no. So, um, Okay. I, th I think, I mean, given that you've done so much work on the films of Quentin Tarantino, we'll let you get away yeah. with it. No, it's, it's correct. It is specifically It is, it is specifically correct. correct. I do want to just take that and put it over in Pedant's Corner over there, but no, it is specifically correct. And, and also, here's the thing. If somebody had made that about a film like Exorcist, I would have done exactly... I'm sorry, yeah. I don't wish to say, say this, but just uh, to point out... And just to revisit, in Pedant's Corner, yes. the apostrophe after the S... Or after the T and before the S. I think it's after the S because it's pedants. But it, it could be a... Yes, so it's a corner for a pedant, singular. No, that would be after the T. Yes, but it it could be that. It, it could be. It could be either. So you can put it anywhere. Yes. Can you put it without an apostrophe? Are you being pedantic as a joke? Yes, yes no, I see. I mean, I've got, no, I've got it. That's if it's pedants corner, you have to be absolutely... <laughs> absolutely pedantically correct about yes. it. Yes. Anyway, a couple of uh, good movies. To, well, I know there's one that you like. I don't know about the other one. So let's talk about the two movies that are out this week. Okay, so Three Musketeers, Milady, which is the second part of Martin Bobelon's uh, modern epic adaptation of uh, Alexander Dumas's 19th century novel. I always have to refer to him as they do in Shawshank Redemption when he gets given a copy of the book and he goes, Alexandri Dumas, which is... <laughs> one, <laughs> once you've heard it, difficult you can't, to dismiss. Can't so um, two films which... Uh, so Musketeers d'Artagnan was the first one shot back-to-back -back over a period of 150 days in 2021-22. French, German, Spanish, Belgian co-pro eye-catching locations, big-name stars, Vincent Cassel, Eva Green, Louis Garel, Vicky Creeps. 
Apparently, 900 technicians, 9,000 extras, and 650 horses. So wow. we're talking Napoleonic Wars. I bet Ridley could have done it in a week. <laughs> no, exactly. He would, he would have sent second unit to do it. So Milady is involved, who's played by Eva Green, is in a plot to overthrow the crown. D'Artagnan's attempting to save Constance. Everyone is double and triple crossing everybody else. It's romping fair, action, comedy, romance, Old-fashioned, but also very modern. Here's a trailer. Ah, I'll take you where men die. Rompity, romp, romp, yeah. romp. Cameras, yeah, cameras swirl. Scenery is chewed. Um, Eva Green has an absolutely fine time playing the, you know, the baddest from Alexandra Dumbass to the baddest badass uh, on the planet. The screening that I saw, which is in a quite small screening room, the audience were very vocal in enjoying it. People were laughing at the jokes and sort of ooing at the action sequences. I mean, it's ripe. It's overcooked. The music, well, you heard some of the music, you know, it's doing the kind of, yes, you know, there's all this stuff is happening. So it's um, it's kind of fun. I mean, if what you want is ripe, overcooked, romping action with Eva Green just chewing the whole thing up, that's what you get. Also a French story told in French. French story told in French, that's right. Unlike Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, so it's... It, it's kind of fun. It's, you know, it's not going to change the face of cinema, but it's kind of fun. And it's the time of year when a good romp probably isn't out of place. <laughs> Sorry. Is, is that right? Is that, is that your opening line when you get home tonight? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> good lady ceramicist here indoors. Apparently. Ceramicist? Of, sorry. No. <laughs> good heavens above. Get that thought out of your mind. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. Good we lady yes. indoors. <laughs> I just don't think you should. The Three Musketeers, it's spanking good. Anyway, fine. So, moving swiftly. That'll be on the post. Yeah, that will be. For certain. But it'll have have a constituency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. It's fun. It's good fun. Uh, Okay, so The Three Musketeers, Milady, that's out. Big cinema. Go see it on a big screen just after you've seen Napoleon, and then you'll have overdosed on the French. I mean, mean, it's not not on the same level as Napoleon. I mean, it's, 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 it's not anything like Napoleon. Which brings us to uh, Godzilla Minus One, which is a very interesting, t- it's an interesting uh, film, but also that's an interesting title. Yeah, so directed by Takashi Yamazaki. Um, this is apparently 37th movie in the Godzilla franchise. I have to say, I went into this not knowing very much about it. Um, it's produced by Toho Studios. Um, we, we've spoken before about uh, Shiro Honda's original, the 1954 Godzilla, which when the BFI issued the DVD of the original Godzilla before it was kind of Americanized. It was a real revelation because you suddenly, you know, you suddenly saw the film as it was originally intended, which it's got very dark, solid themes to it. Anyway, so this plays out in the wake of World War II, a guilty kamikaze pilot, uh, Shikshima, who encounters the titular giant lizard in the, in the end of the war. He is seeking redemption because he has survivor's guilt that he hasn't been able to 
to do what he was meant to do. And he's trying to face up to his demons in the in the wake of the you know the, the fall of, of of Japan during the war by developing a nuclear family after the you know Tokyo has been destroyed and the nation is at its lowest point. And apparently the title minus one, and I had to look this up because symbolizes Japan's lowest point after the war. And the idea is that it's you know you're at zero and then the arrival of the destructive force takes you to minus one. So it, the film debuted at number one in the Japanese box office and has gone on to pr prove a resounding hit around the world. And it's kind of easy to see why. It gets the balance between drama and spectacle and uh, proper content, right? It has substance as well as all the other stuff. I think we have a trailer. Do you want to have a look? Mm-hmm. なんで俺たちこんなところに呼ばれたんですか政府はこの情報を国民に伏せていますみんな死んだぞこの橋知らずその怪物は許してくれないゴジラマイナスは And the trailer actually shows you the beast. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I think that the thing about getting the balance right between between the spectacle and the substance is a really difficult thing. So the central story about kamikaze pilot with survivor's guilt, taking responsibility for a child and then dealing with issues of grief and shame and betrayal, that's really important. The rivalries and the camaraderies between the key characters have got just the right amount of melodrama that you become very emotionally engaged in them. There's a story about people pulling together in the face of a kind of existential threat. And it's not to do with, you know, relying on government agencies. It's about people doing the thing that they need to do in order to get redemption. And like the original Godzilla, as opposed to the you know the, the 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 US version, it's a story that features a giant lizard rather than a giant lizard in search of a story, which I think is one of the things that's happened with a lot of Godzilla movies. I mean, you saw just in that clip, the thing has scale; it has real heft and weight. When you see Godzilla, when Godzilla appears, you do get that sense of I mean, this is what you should get from kaiju movies anyway. It's like it's. It's huge and kind of incomprehensible and sort of like a personification of destruction in a way that is it's more than the sum of its parts. Um, you get a real sense of awe, real sense of wonder, real sense of jeopardy. There is a great score by Naoko Sato, who the score's kind of got this this weird thing that on the sometimes it's very subtle and it's sort of groans and like the almost like the sound of the earth howling and at other times it's it's getting into the emotional uh, substance of the characters so you've got proper story proper characters proper arc proper big monster stuff and the film feels like it's absolutely in the tradition of the original Godzilla, not kind of what Godzilla... I mean, there have been great Godzilla since. I mean, Shin Godzilla was very good, but it's it feels like getting it back to the essence of the original story. And I was genuinely surprised by how good it was. And just the other day, I was with Kim Newman, and uh, I said, did you see uh, Godzilla Minus One? He said, yeah. I said, it's great, isn't it? And he went, yeah. And it's it was yeah, it's really properly good Godzilla movie. And, it, you know, again, who knew? 
And a kaiju movie is defined as? Giant monsters. So, you know, um, Pacific Rim or something, mm-hmm. you know. So, That's yeah. kaiju. Yeah. Uh, relevant here. Eric Hurst in Sacramento. Oh, we have emails. Simon Mark, okay. I caught Godzilla, minus one, at a matinee last Saturday, and I came out lost for words. Ah. I thought I was in for a fun kaiju movie, hence my question. Yeah. But what I got instead was a heartfelt, loving, masterfully crafted piece of cinema that takes the modern monster movie genre, tears holes in the side of it, stomps it into little pieces, and then shoots a heat ray through it. It was absolutely sublime from start to finish. Can I just say the heat ray sequences are astonishing. I brought a friend of mine who I knew was a huge fan of Godzilla, uh, but had become bitter towards the franchise thanks to the American film, starting with the 1998 piece starring Matthew Broderick, Godzilla Lost in New York. The first thing she commented on was how refreshing it was that the movie simply acknowledged that the original film exists, Mm -hmm. something that has seemed unimportant to the American films. This movie has a clear appreciation of the original film, not just through the music, but also its themes that Godzilla is all about. War, nuclear weapons, civilian casualties, nature, industry, and of course, people. It is a refreshing take on the Godzilla story. I'm so delighted to hear this. This is great. I'm telling everyone I know to go and see it in theatres, not just because it's one of the best movies to watch in theatres I've seen all year, but it's simply one of the best movies I've seen all year. Happy holidays to you both. There we go. There we go. Eric Hurst. Fantastic. I'm really, really chuffed about that because it's it's such a surprise that it's, you know, it's as good as it is. Yes, fortunately you weren't lost for words, but it sounds like you went in expecting one thing and you came out. I went in not knowing what to expect at all and uh, having no, as I said, having no sort of uh, pre-set up beforehand. And and then just like 10 minutes in, you go, like you and Wonka, you know, do I need another Godzilla movie? Really? Oh, yes, I do. And it's, as I said, and if anyone gets the chance, do get that. There's still the BFI DVD, it's probably a Blu-ray now, of the original Godzilla, Godzilla. Um, because that film in its original form is a genuine, proper, standalone masterpiece. And there's great, there's a great documentary on it as well about all the fallout of the the nuclear testing and the, and the what's it called, the fishing ship, which was the, was it Lucky Dragon number nine, in which they brought back the radioactive fish. So, you know, anyway, it's... It's great. It's, it sounds like if you have a, a jaded palate, yes, uh, somewhat, then this is the then this is a this, this is a refresher. Yeah. So that if you hear, I mean, we should bear this in mind for next year. If you hear, there's another one of this particular type of movies, yeah, uh, of, of whatever genre. You yes. go, Do we really need that? Well, who knows? The answer might be yes, depending yeah. on what they've done with it. Well, this should place. it should be a new category. Do we really need that? Yes. Yes, we do. In fact, the way you were talking about it reminds me of the way you, this is back to Radio One days. So okay, we talked about Starship Troopers. Oh yeah, oh, which yes. was which I loved. Yeah, which was fantastic. And as I remember, it came out on Boxing Day. It did. And was, it was precisely <laughs> the right. It was okay. Christmas that was great, and that's gone. And now we want to shoot people in we space. Want huge bugs. Yes, and then realise that actually we were on the wrong side all along. Anyway, now we was, can experiment on them. Yes, I might keep this movie for Boxing Day and <laughs> yeah. take. Yeah, I'm going to take all my family and go. we'll go and see Godzilla. Minus very one. good, very good. Uh, so uh, once you've seen it, let us know. Correspondence at KerbidAmeo.com. Time for this week's listener correspondence, which has been sent to that very uh, address. What you do is you record a voice note and then you send it to us. Yes. Like this, for example. Hi, Simon and Mark. This is Pat Kelman of 606 Distribution based in Cornwall. We've got Monica coming out this week starring Patricia Clarkson and Trace Lysette. In addition to the amazing indies playing the film, Cineworld have given us a one-night special screening slot at 90 of their sites across the UK on Sunday, December 17th. It'll be incredible if you're
your listeners could come along and support this. With no budget for promotion, we don't normally get a chance like this. So the more people that come along, hopefully this would open up opportunities for small distributors like myself to get their releases seen. To find out where Monica's playing, please go to 606distribution.co.uk forward slash Monica or book direct from cityworld.co.uk. Thanks ever so much. Thank you, Pat, from 606 Distribution, promoting a one-night special screening of their film, Monica. And if you have a zero budget to advertise anything to do with anything to do with cinema and theatre, then let us know. Send us a, an email, as Pat did, to correspondence at cobinamo.com. Excellent. Uh, very good. Um, so, uh, yeah, 20 seconds, though, to be honest, if it's interesting... 40 seconds. And you <laughs> so, can put some production into it. Minute and a half. And always the key, don't do the what's it. That was very well recorded. It was nicely recorded. Very nicely it sounds done. though he had a decent quality microphone yeah. and he'd maybe done a rehearsal before. It's not always the case. Anyway, that's always the, uh, that's the end of Take One. It's been a Sony Music Entertainment production. This week's team, Lily, Charlie, Gully, Vicky, Zaki, Matty, Hanny, Michael Lee, and Simon Poole, who gets a full name. Mark, what is your film of the week? Take a wild guess. Uh, I think it's the Meg Ryan, David Duchovny, no. Godzilla minus one. <laughs> yeah, Godzilla minus one. Okay. Anyway, don't forget, Take Two has landed alongside this particular podcast with loads more extra stuff, including some uh, extra reviews. For example, uh, off the top of my oh, yes. Um, Everybody. Chicken Run. Uh, Chicken yeah. Run, uh, Dawn of the Nugget. And we're revisiting Maestro because it's dropping on Netflix on the 20th. And Take Three will be with you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening. 